The Pinball Network is online. Launching. Just another pinball podcast. All right, this is Joel Engelberth with Just Another Pinball Podcast, Episode 3. Um, recording this in my mobile studio, aka the minivan. Um, and yeah, happy to happy to have a chance to do an episode three. Uh, I got some great emails uh, after episode two, and that's definitely what I'd love to continue. So please, absolutely, feel free to email me at justanotherpinball at gmail dot com, uh, and I'd love to keep this discussion going. Uh, so anything at all in the pinball hobby or outside of that, arcade or something that you'd like me to discuss, I'm I'm all for it. I uh, would love this to be, you know, as interactive as possible. Um, so yeah, just looking at some of the emails that I got here, uh, I, I have found this to be very interesting to see. I've literally received emails now from all over the world, which is awesome. Uh, I know last episode I talked about um, one from Canada. I got an episode from Grant King in Australia who had some very nice things to say, basically that he's been listening to podcasts for a lot of years and he feels uh, that I have a new take and it's uh, he really appreciates my genuine approach and I uh, really appreciate those kind words. Um, I got an email from a guy in Virginia, Danny in uh, Virginia, and he basically explained um, you know, how hard it is to fit pinball into his lifestyle, uh, but yet um, he, when he started in arcade games, he knows... The diag- diagnosing and repairing those types of podcasts and podcasts and, and YouTube videos, how helpful those were. And um, he actually mentioned something that I, I wish I would have uh, would have described more in depth or just mentioned at all, which is continuity. Um, if you guys are going to get into this hobby, whether it's arcades or pinball, and you get a multimeter, make sure it has a, a, like a continuity test on that. And what continuity is, is basically you're going to have your two leads that come off the multimeter. And basically, if you connect or touch each lead onto something, uh, it's going to tell you whether or not it detects a signal through that object. So if you put that on each end of a wire, it'll show you on your multimeter whether or not it can it can detect a signal through that wire. Um, what's even more useful are continuity meters that actually give off like an, uh, an audible beep. Um, so it, it makes it just very simple, um, with, from a troubleshooting standpoint, especially with pinball where it's like, all right, well, if I look at the manual, this connector, uh, this whole string of bulbs or lights are, are off of this pin in this connector. So I could put one end of my probe on that pin of the connector, and then I could put my other end of the probe on the light itself and you'd hope to hear a beep. And so if you don't hear a beep, then you know somewhere between that connector and that light, which is somewhere in the wiring harness, something is not connected. Um, And I use continuity all the time. If you're doing like a cap kit or anything like that, you know, to double check your work or when you're replacing the header pins on a connector, you know, each one of those probably, they're side by side, they're kind of close together. So you could uh, touch continuity on each of the header pins to make sure that your solder didn't potentially bridge those two header pins. So that continuity, I think I use my multimeter more for checking continuity than I actually do for checking bolts or, or anything like that, so, or voltage. Um, very, very useful tool. But he had some really kind words to say, uh, so I really appreciated your email, um, Danny. Uh, but the main email that I'd like to talk about today, which kind of gave me a nice prompt, um, was incredibly nice. Uh, it's from a guy named Rick Wade. Um, and he just said, 
Hello, I'm a, I'm a comedy guy, sports dude, hip-hop head, and ghetto kid turned corporate guy who had love, who had the love for pinball revisited with uh, Pirates of the Caribbean at Chuck E. Cheese while my boys ran around like crazy. Recently remarried and unknowingly, I found that my wife likes pinball too. So two years ago, I bought a Jungle Lord and then an Aerosmith, and now it's Deadpool and all Chicago games and a Waz. Me and the wife both have our Grail games. Uh, we have a guy I really like in central Indiana that can fix games for coming to our place. It seems like his, avail his availability is really limited. Uh, and my mom's or my mom, my wife's grail game is not working for various reasons. Of course it's was, which is kind of daunting. Uh, since it has been about a month while with this guy, um, or waiting on this guy, I know waiting on the guy who I know can fix still without availability. My wife nudges me every time we play many nights uh, with a cold one. So this brings me to Joel's podcast. I didn't have a clue that he was into the hobby only about as long as I have collected the balance of simplicity and specificity. Spec All right. The English language is hard. Specificity that he talked about game parts and fixes provided me both motivational shame and confident energy that I can tinker to try to fix things that I would never try before. And I have never tried to fix anything on the games for the fear that I might make things worse. Well done, Joel. And I hope that I will hear episode three shortly. So first off, thank you. I, I very much appreciate that email. Um, yeah, I think there's people out there that have some amazing collections and yet are so scared to even take the glass off to potentially fix something, um, that it, it can be somewhat crippling or, or you're, you're almost afraid to play your games. And, and I am, I am not a repair tech and I'm not trying to bash repair techs. They're absolutely necessity for this. They're they're They are, um, a necessity for this hobby. And I know when I ask questions on pin sides, a lot of time there, there's some sort of tech that's answering those or some experienced operator um, that's answering those. And I absolutely appreciate their skill and their knowledge in this hobby. But I do think there are simple things that you could probably check on your own first. So Waz is an extreme example. JJP games are incredibly uh, advanced and there's a whole lot going on under the hood. But um, depending on what his issue is, you know, if all of a sudden a switch stops working, uh, instead of immediately calling the tech, it's probably worth looking under the play field, looking at that, trying to find the switch, trying to find the wires, or putting it into switch test mode and, you know, clicking it with your finger, you know, just simple things like that that you could test first um, and you could troubleshoot, you know, and make sure it's not a connector issue, it's not a wire issue, it's not a switch issue, you know, little things like that. So, um, yeah, I'm glad. I don't know exactly what's wrong with his was, but I feel like, you know, hopefully those are some things that, that he feels um, he could attempt first without, you know, so much fear. Um, so it comes to his question. For a question slash topic for the next one, what are some of the things that you weigh into plus or minus for median value of a game that you are trying to buy? I.e., what are adders or degraders of value in a game you're buying from a technical perspective or an aesthetics perspective? Uh, and then off to buy a soldering iron. Thanks, Rick Wade. Um, so I actually did email Rick back and forth and, and I, I recommended some of the tools that I use and I, I need to follow up with him. That was uh, roughly a week ago. I need to follow up with him to see if he's made any progress there on his machine. So, um, yeah, I, I, I am glad I, I enjoyed last episode. I, I absolutely feel that last episode, 
everything that I talked about could have probably been its own episode and I could go so much deeper into those. And, and you know what, if people want me to, I'd be happy to go uh, a lot deeper into those. But the reality is I kind of mentioned there are some amazing resources out there, especially visual resources for each one of those, whether it's LEDs, flipper rebuild kits, any of those, I'd referenced uh, some different YouTube channels, you know, like Ray's tech tips and stuff that, that really go into those uh, in, in, way more depth than I could ever say from a podcast or, um, and they're also speaking from a whole lot more experience than I have. So the whole point of last week's episode was just to encourage, you know, to look or to, to attempt or to try, um, to do things to your games, but, um, to answer the question. So when I'm going to buy a game, what am I looking for? What are the, what are the things that I'm looking for? So first off, when it comes to valuing or finding the value of a game, um, the one place you do not look is eBay. Do not look at eBay um, because there are absolutely sellers that are trying to sell games for thousands of dollars more than what they're actually worth. Uh, and that's just because they're hoping, you know, that somebody's like, you know what, growing up, I loved playing Terminator 2. They don't even know about Pinside or to think about Craigslist or anything like that. So they just go to eBay, they type in Terminator 2 pinball, they see one, they assume that's the right price and they buy it. That's what some of these sellers are hoping for. But if you're really going to get into pinball collecting, that's not at all the way that you should try to find the value of a game. Um, normally, what I look at is I actually use Pinside. Now, Pinside will show you a value range for a game. Um, so if you're looking up a game, it, you know, maybe a few hundred dollar difference in that value range. Um, that's not a bad place to start, but normally where you want to go is you actually want to go to the marketplace and you want to see at the game. You want to see the games that have sold recently because the reality is the, the value of that game is probably going up or going down based on what it is or the times. So that that range that they're giving you is the average of all the games sold over the entire time that that game's been on pin side. At least that's what I think the algorithm is. So normally what I'll see is I'll see the price, but I do know pinball's getting a lot more popular in the last you know year or two. So let's say the game's recommended at 3,200 bucks. Well, you know, let's say the range is 3,000 to $3,300, something like that. Well, in my mind, I'm like, well, there's a really good chance that now because of popularity, that game's probably actually worth closer to the $3,300 mark, the higher end of that value. Um, now, if you could get it for lower, great. But that's kind of at least gives me an idea of what the game might be worth. Um, so if I see a game for sale, whether it's a Craigslist or Facebook or Facebook Marketplace, or I hear, you know, a local collector or whatever has a game for sale, you know, obviously I ask them, well, what, you know, what, what are you looking to sell it for? Well, if they say uh, $3,800 and I look online and I see, well, this game's actually worth $3,300, then in my mind, it's like, well, what's justifying the extra $500? So if they say, ah, it was recently shopped. Recently shopped could mean a whole lot of different things depending on who did the shopping, quote unquote. So some people call a game shopped if they wipe it down with a rag, replace all the bulbs that are missing, and replace broken rubbers. They would consider that shopped. While other people consider shopped, meaning I literally tore off everything on the upper play field and I cleaned everything, I buffed things, I polished things, Every single rubber's replaced. Every single, if there's anything cracked or any cracked plastic, any cracked ramp, ramp all that's replaced. You know, they they basically get the top side of the play field back to pristine. Everything under the play field, they replace all the bulbs, maybe swap them out for LEDs. Other people consider that 
shopping a game. So when I read somebody, it's like, well, this game's been shopped and it plays great. I don't immediately assume that's worth hundreds of dollars because that terminology could mean so many different things. So it's probably worth asking, you know, well, what, what did you do? What, like, did you replace any parts on the machine? Did you, um, you know, or are there, is there anything new on this machine or what is new on this machine? So if they say, yes, I replaced a ramp. Well, replacing a plastic ramp, you know, check Marco, especially check pinball life, or you may have to do some Googling, see what that ramp cost. And it's like, wow, okay, that ramp was $150. So, okay, that may be worth the extra amount of money. Um, other times though, when they're like trying to get money out of, well, I put LEDs in the game. Maybe you're a person that doesn't like LEDs, or maybe there's a chance that the LEDs that they put, they put color LEDs in the GI and you hate that, or they put um, like a warm bulb and you'd rather have a cold, cool bulb. So LEDs doesn't necessarily mean value that you have to pay for if you don't agree with it. Um, so it's just, those are questions that you're kind of having to ask for yourself where it's like, okay, if the base value of the game in your head is $3,300, that means I want a fully functioning game that's stock or close to it. So if they're doing add-ons, if they're doing stuff to it, it's like, well, I powder coated the game. Well, do you like that? I mean, if you like that or that's something that you would have done to your game, then sure, you you may look at it that as, I mean, I've never powder coated a game, but let's say that's $200. Well, if they did that and in your mind, you're like, well, I was going to do it anyways. So that's $200 that it saved. Great. But if you would never powder coat a game in your head, it's like, well, now I'm paying $200 for, a, for an add-on that I personally don't think I would do. Um, so those are those kind of the questions where, you know, you got to ask yourself, it's like, am I paying for things that I would not have done to the game if I had the choice to? Another good example would be uh, like a color DMD. A color DMD, I absolutely think they're awesome. I've put, I've had two that I've swapped between multiple games now. And I, it's, it's an awesome, awesome add-on. Some people don't care. Some people don't care for them or don't feel the need to put them in a game. And that's totally fine. The reality is a color DMD, if you're going to buy it new, is is like close to $400. So let's say that game that I threw out, that hypothetical game, let's say it is a DMD game. And you look on Pinside and it's $3,300 roughly when they're trying to sell it for $38. Well, maybe they're saying a color DMD is in it. So in your mind, it's like, that's a $400 add-on. Well, if you don't want that, or you didn't want to pay for that, you could ask them like, Hey, is there any way that you'd sell it instead of selling at 3,800? Would you sell it at 3,500? And you take the color DMD out and put the original DMD back in. That's absolutely something that they may be willing to do and may be willing to, to save you money. I have sold games before where I've put the original DMD back and took the color DMD out and ended up putting it in a different game just because the seller was trying to save some, some, some money. So that's really what it comes down when you're looking at price. Um, that's kind of what I look at where it's like, okay, they're higher than what I would expect. Or if you look on pin and you see recently sold, it's like, well, this one recently sold with a color DMD for 3,600. You're asking 38, you know, what's going on? Um, so those are like, if you're looking at mods or potential add-ons, whether or not you find value in those. But if I'm actually in front of a game, what am I looking at? Well, the first thing I do is I take the I take the glass off 
and I, um, so you got to open the coin door, you you take down the lockdown bar, you take the glass off. When I'm in the coin, the when I open up the coin door, I'm going to find the key inside, I'm going to take the back box off. So this isn't really an issue if it's like a brand new modern Stern or something like this. But if you're buying a game from the 80s or 90s, is, you know, are there AA batteries in the back box? If there are AA batteries in the back box, you got to look for them and you got to look at them and you got to see if there's any sort of corrosion damage. Corrosion damage, corrosion damage from from batteries is like the worst thing that could happen in your back box. And a lot of times there's a chance you're buying a pinball machine off of somebody that they're, oh yeah, it's been our basement for 20 years. They may not even know that there are batteries in their back box. So they haven't changed them in 20 years. Others may be, you know, diligent about it and have been doing it every two years, but that is the absolutely the first thing I'm looking at. So I'm I'm looking in the back box. I'm seeing if there's any acid or corrosion damage from the from the batteries. And there's a chance the batteries may not even be in the game, which is fine, or they may have put in a remote board or something. But always check for that first. If you see that, then that immediately in my mind is something that I would point out. Now, I don't know if you're the type of person, if you're going to buy a game and that person's advertised a game, yeah, this game's $3,800. Oh, okay, do you mind if I come by and take a look? I don't know if you have that mentality of I'm going to go in here and see if I can haggle them down. In my opinion, I always communicate that, that it's like, all right, I see your price. To be honest, it's a little higher than what I'd expect, you know, but I see you did X, Y, and Z. Or if it's just like, hey, we've had this game for 20 years and they're just pulling a number out of their, you know, butt, then... I don't know. That's a conversation you can have with them. Or you can, I've shown people Pinside before. I've said this is a forum for pinball collectors. And this is currently the, the, the range that this game would sell for collectors. And some people respect that. And other people are like, no, I looked on eBay. Or no, you know, this is just what we, we think we could get for the game. And sometimes you have to walk away because you're not going to convince them otherwise. Um, but if you do feel the need to haggle... Or, or communicate, you know, your thoughts on, on the value of their game. Showing them something like battery damage or acid damage, it's pretty obvious. You know, it's like, see, there's batteries in here, and obviously they've exploded. Most people have had some sort of gadget, or it may even be a TV remote, that they forgot about and looked and realized, oh, I just ruined this device because my batteries, you know, exploded in here. So when you show that, that's definitely something that you could save money from if you see that type of damage. Now, there's a chance that there may be some sort of corrosion damage or something on the board, and the game plays totally fine, but that doesn't mean that it's going to continue to play fine, because as long as that acid's on the board, it could continue to eat away at the board. Um, So that's always something that I communicate, where it's like, this is an issue. I understand you're saying the game's playing well, but maybe they'll come down on the price because they see the damage. But if not, that's something you need to take into consideration of, well, I need to remove these batteries for sure, clean this board up as best I can, or I may need to factor in money for replacing this board or getting it, sending it out for repaired so that somebody else professionally can remove the acid from this board, because that could be a long-term issue with that game. Um, Other things that I'm looking for in the back box. Uh, you know, I usually just do a real quick glance over all of all the boards, all the capacitors and stuff. If something's blown, if a resistor is blown or a capacitor is blown, 
usually it's pretty obvious. There's a burnt spot or something on the board. So you can take a quick glance, just see if anything looks weird on the boards. And then I also look at all the connectors. And I kind of talked last time that especially down um, when you're looking at the connectors for the inserts and the GI, there's a chance that you may see some burnt connectors. So um, those are things that I just look at. And then at that point, normally I'll turn on the game. So if you turn on the game and you realize half the GI's out, they may not realize that. They may not know that and be like, and that's when you start to point to, you know, you see this bulb right here? You see why it's out? Well, it's because this connector's burn up and you can start to point to things that are that are wrong with the game. And those are potentially reasons or, or things that you could walk them down. So in your mind, you know, if you're willing to do that fix, like in my mind, it's like, all right, I need to replace the header pins on that board. I need to, you know, put on crimp those wires and put on a new connector. In my mind, it's like, that's $5 worth of parts, but it may be an hour or more worth of my time. Well, I'm not going to take $5 off the price. I'm going to take what it would cost to have a repairman come and do that, which would probably be, I don't know, 60 to $100. So that's something that if you're buying from another collector, they may know that, or they may, I, I don't know. I don't know. If you're buying from a collector, if they know that, then they probably would have fixed it themselves. So I've never been in that position. But most of the time, if you're buying a game from somebody who doesn't really know pinball or doesn't know how to fix or repair pinball, those are the kind of things that you could find or potentially, you know, save yourself some money on. So that's the back box. Uh, normally, when it comes to the play field, I then I put there's multiple tools um, that you can flip through in the utilities section of, you know, anything with the DMD. Um but you, you can you can turn all the lights on. So you can turn all the LEDs or all the bulbs on. So it's like all bulbs is the setting and it'll just blink. And at that point, you can look at all the inserts and make sure that they're lit up. You can look all around the play field for the GI. There are different tests where you could do different zones of the GI, just make sure things are lit up. And it's at that point where it's it's if things aren't lighting up, it's like, well, it could be a bulb or we could have a board issue. Um, now I never go into troubleshooting when you're trying to buy a game from somebody because yeah, it may be a real quick, easy fix for you, but you know, especially if you're going to see a game that they know is not working, well, don't go there and troubleshoot and get it working because then all of a sudden they're like, wow, that took you two seconds. And now my game's worth a thousand dollars more. No, just take a look, but factor that into your head where it's like, all right, this whole strand of bulbs out are out. It could be a large issue with this board, or it could just be a transistor or something on this board. If that's something you're comfortable fixing, factor the cost of that in your head. Otherwise, if you know you're going to have to pay for somebody or potentially replace that whole board, factor that in your head. So an extreme example of this would have been 8-Ball Deluxe. 8-Ball Deluxe, I think I mentioned earlier that I had a chance to buy an 8-Ball Deluxe that was dead. You turned it on, there was nothing. No, No sound, no noise, no nothing. So I looked on Pinside and I saw that on Pinside at the time, a nice working eight ball deluxe was worth roughly two grand. Well, I knew, I have no idea what's wrong with this game. I, I, I know that if I flip the switch, I have no response. So in a worst case scenario, I have to replace um, the main power board or I, I don't, I'm not using the right terminology, but there's a power board in the, in the base of the game. And then in the back box, I, I had looked online and I saw there was, I think there was four different boards. So if you add that up, it's like MPU board, the, the driver board, the speech board, like every one of those boards had replacement boards. So I done the math and it's like, all right, I, I could replace every board in this game for, I think it was like less than 600 bucks. 
And then I'm like, then I'm going to have bulbs or bulbs. If I'm going to put in LEDs, that would be another hundred dollars. I'm going to have rubbers. If I want to do natural rubbers, you're talking 20. If I'm going to do, uh, you know, Titans, I may be closer to 80. I don't know. And then flipper rebuild kick. That was a fle- three flipper game. I know I'm going to do that. So it's like in my head, I'm adding that up. And it's like worst case scenario, if I replace all the boards, let's say that's 600 bucks, flipper rebuild kit, LEDs, everything. Let's say that's another $200. So that's $800 that I might have to invest in this game. Well, if the game's worth 2000, I need to factor in 800 bucks. Like I'm not going to offer anything more than $1,200 just because I don't want to lose out on this game. Uh, I don't want to lose money on this game. And this, and, and, and that game to me was just a game. It's not like it was my childhood favorite or it's my Holy grail or something like that. So Luckily, the guy, when I was talking to him, I think I ended up buying the thing off the guy for like six or 700 bucks. Um, now, the reality was it took a lot of work. I had to replace all the connectors in the game. I had to do some board work. I had to replace all the all the stuff on the main power board in the bottom, rubbers, everything. I think all in, I had maybe $300 worth of parts. So I bought that game for 600. I had $300 worth of parts. I had a lot of hours though that are I didn't factor in to the cost, but I had less than $1,000 in the game and I was able to sell it for or trade it for value at closer to 2,000. So that was an opportunity where I actually made some money, but I absolutely could have lost money if or or I I made sure I didn't buy I made sure I bought the pen at a low enough price that I wasn't going to lose money even if I had to do a lot of drastic repairs to it. Um, so that's just factoring in potential work that you may do. Now, cosmetics on the game. It's definitely worth looking at the cabinet. I don't care about a beat up cabinet or like scratches on a cabinet or anything. I look at that as a little bit, you know, like patina. Um, but you definitely want to check, you know, the corners of the cabinet, make sure they're not splitting or anything like that, because that means that that cabinet was either dropped or was thoroughly abused with the legs. Um, you know, you want to make sure like, and you really don't know until you start to pack up the game, but you're hoping none of the leg bolts are stripped. Um, because once again, that would show that that this game's, you know, really been abused. Uh, so you want to look at the cabinets for that type of stuff, like structural cracks, or if you open, you know, lift up the play field and you look inside and you realize there's some ridiculous glue all along the right seam. It's like, well, this cabinet split at some point in time, you know, those are little red flags, um, that you could look at. Look under the play field, make sure you're not seeing any burnt or crispy parts, you know, or something like that. Um, but then, yeah, definitely check out all the bulbs uh, and then put the game into switch test mode and use, use your finger, roll the ball around and test every single switch in the game. And those are always things that I'm doing if I'm trying to buy a game off a person. Now, there's another side to that. Like, I actually bought a game once from an estate sale. And that game was Shadow. In my mind, I knew that the shadow was worth roughly at the time, like roughly 3,500 bucks. So that was just a stock shadow. So I was like, all right, if I do my normal LED bulbs, rubbers, flipper rebuild kit, that may put me in another $200. Um, so in this game, I bought it from a state sale. It was obviously been at this house for a while. I'm probably going to have to do all those things. So in my mind, I was like, if the sticker says, if I think it's worth $3,500, if the sticker says like 33 or 32 or below, I know I could buy this game and not lose money or hope to not lose money unless I see something drastic. Um, now, 
I re- I wanted the game. I that was a game that I was trying to hunt down. So I walked in there. This was kind of a all the doors open, mad rush go. I knew exactly where it was. I had actually pulled up the the house was for sale, so I'd pulled up the the house on my phone on Realder. And so when looking on Realder.com or whatever, so when looking at the pictures on the uh, estate sale website, I was able to see. Obviously, it looks like it's in their basement. So by looking at the pictures online at Realder.com, I realized exactly how you'd have to walk through the house to get to the basement. So I was like the 10th person inside the house when the doors opened up. But because I knew exactly how to get in the basement, I was the first person in the basement, walked right up to the, walked right up to the game. And I saw that the game was listed at 2,800 bucks. So $2,800, I saw that and immediately I was like, this gives me $700 of wiggle room. Now this game could be a completely dead so all I had to do, I, I didn't, I hadn't even turned it on before I pulled the sticker. All I did is I did a real quick look at the base, you know, the cabinet of the game. I didn't see anything crazy. And I looked at the play field and the, the play field wasn't roached or anything. It wasn't, you know, all the art looked good. It just looked dirty. And I was like, I felt safe even at that moment to go ahead and pull the tag off the game and put it in my pocket. Now, after that, I, I then turned the game on and I saw that half the GI was out. That's probably just a connector. Should be an easy fix. Went to start a game. It did launch a ball. The flippers did work. They just were slow. They didn't work well. I, I, I then quickly found one of the diverters wasn't working. Where it's like, okay, I can fix that. But if I would have picked that up from a person and didn't feel like there was any chance that somebody could take the game out from under me, I would have done all those tests first. But it, I felt in the estate sale, I just was prepared mentally and prepared uh, for what I was willing to pay for that game. And I ended up, luckily that game, um, I, yeah, it was just some simple connector fixes. I did my normal treatment. I ended up putting a color DMD display in it. And so when I actually went to sell the game, I didn't make much money off of that game, but I had put bells and whistles and other mods. And, you know, I put like wood, wood grips on the handle and did some other stuff to the game that were, I actually put Penn stadium in that game. Yeah, uh, so I, I I put some mods or some stuff in that game that I probably didn't get my money back out of when I went to sell it um, because I was trying to sell it at a price that if everybody's seeing $3,500 on Pinside and I had it listed for, I think, closer to four grand, you know, they're they're wondering, well, where are the, where where's this extra $500 coming from kind of thing. Um, I think, yeah, I don't exactly remember exactly what I, what I sold it for, but I remember my, that window, that $700 window that I started with, I definitely ate up from, uh, not necessarily repairs, but adding mods and bells and whistles and whatnot. Um, so kind of a long winded answer, but definitely that's kind of what I'm looking for when I'm looking for a game. Um, and maybe that's really helpful or hopefully that's helpful for new buyers. Um, but there's a good chance that when you go to buy a pinball machine, if you're buying it off a of Craigslist and somebody's saying, yeah, this has been in my basement th- for 30 years and it hasn't played in, in the last 10 of them, you know, do the math in your head of worst case scenario, if I have to replace every board in this game, what is that going to cost? Um, and I just always assume bulbs. I always assume rubbers. I always assume flipper mechs. Um, you know, factor that in, do all your, you know, do that math beforehand so you have a better idea of what you'd be willing to pay uh, because, Hey, let's say I fix it all. Well, what could I resell it for? If that's a game, you know, the game you want to play. Um, but I, I have made money in this hobby. I've never sold a game at a loss, but that making money could have been anywhere from 
like break even or a hundred bucks to, you know, doubling my money. But that's not, I don't know. I would never, I, I, this would be a hard hobby to make a living where you're just constantly buying broken machines and then fixing them and flipping them. Uh, maybe if you're doing like high end restore, re- restore restorations to the game. Um, but that's just, to me, I just want a playable game. So Rick, I hope that was helpful. Um, I know things definitely can change based on, uh, you know, how old or new the game is. Uh, you know, if, if, if I'm going to buy something like a guardians of the galaxy, which is just a few years old, if I look down at the play field and I see that there's, you know, significant play field wear around the flippers or around the scoop or, you know, like paint is missing, Hey, that game's only a few years old. That means that there have been thousands of plays on this game. This game has been worn out. So that that price value of that game, let's say it's at fifty one hundred bucks. No, this game is worn out. I am not. I'm not going to pay fifty one hundred bucks for that. You know, maybe I'd pay forty one hundred or forty five. I don't know if I'd even necessarily want that because it's it's that, that game has legitimately been worn out. Now, with that said, if I'm going to go look at something like an 8-Ball Deluxe, I cannot have an expectation of that play field looking pristine because that game is, whatever, 30, 40 years old. Like, that's just an unrealistic expectation Unrealistic expectation at that point. Unless you're buying from a collector who's done, like, a play field swap or some other treatment or, or just has a ridiculous game. And if that's the case, then the value of that's way more above the average. So, kind of just things that you need to know, but... Um, I don't know. Me personally, I've never been one that's all about the cosmetics, um, especially with older games. I just want to enjoy the game. I want the game to be able to be playable and something that you can flip. Um, Yeah, I think other things you'd potentially look at, maybe ghosting, like ghosting in the inserts or older games. You can see um, Mylar, whether or not like an older game, like let's say in the 80s a lot of those games have mylar well if that mylar is starting to peel up or starting to bubble then really to play that game well you're probably need to going to need to remove that mylar and to remove that mylar uh, is a little bit of work um, and there's a chance you could potentially remove the paint at that point so then you're playing the game of am i am i okay with having a little of the paint missing or a little you know of the, the, the game looking somewhat worn or is this a game that I that's you know going to be a keeper that's going to stay in my collection forever that I'd actually want to do you know a hard top or, or some sort of you know play field replacement um, you know to that game but mylar is definitely something I look at um, you want to look at older games you want to see if there's planking planking something you can google but it's basically where the the, the wood play field has warped a little bit uh insert cupping or insert where the inserts are raised raised inserts uh that's a super easy test when you have the when you have the play field off just take your hand and start sliding your hand back and forth across the play field and if you feel that an insert is cupped down or if you feel that an insert the side of the insert is is raised above the play field those are obviously things that will affect the way the ball travels and you will definitely see that in older games uh now those are things that you can fix it's not the easiest fix but it's another it's just another thing to factor in where it's like this is not technically you know now i'm starting to see things about this game that are potentially below the market value of this game. Um, but at the same time, if you're going to buy a game from the seventies, 
that's probably going to be expected. So that mean that market value may actually be accurate, but just assume the the board the the play field is going to look older or worn out um, at that point. So I don't know. I find Pinside very useful looking at the for sale thread and looking at what had previously sold and looking at the pictures of the games that had previously previously sold usually give me a really good idea of what the current market value is of a game um, and what quality or I should expect that game to be in. Um, and then just knowing the cost of different modifications, whether it's pin stadiums, LEDs, different rubbers, different work that they've done to that powder coating, knowing the value of those things, and then whether or not that's value that you want to pay for, or if that's work that you would have done to the game, um, you know, and, and communicating that, that it's that, Hey, I actually, you know, could, could you want to keep the, the color DMD and swap it out for a new, another one? Or, you know, I know you powder coated the legs, but you know, I'm not the biggest fan of those. So I'm, I would have preferred them to be stock. So I'm not, I don't really want to pay for that. I mean, it just depends on how you want to communicate that to the seller or how much you want that game. Um, so yeah, long-winded answer, but Rick, I appreciate the question and hopefully that was useful to, to somebody, um, specifically you. Um, so yeah, if there's, uh, if there are any other questions or any other things you would like me to talk about, please once again, email me at, uh, just another pinball at gmail.com. Um, so yeah, to wrap up this episode, uh, I do have a thought and I'm curious what people think. So please absolutely email or find me on Pinside, Pinside's Joel Bob or Facebook, Joel Engelberth. Um, but I thought about potentially interviewing some of my friends and family on this show. Um, even my wife and my, my thought behind that is these are people that I have drawn into this hobby. Some of them more than others. Some of them now are very, are actually really enjoy playing the machines when they come other others. I definitely think are humoring me, but I just, I have an idea of some of the conversation or questions that I'd ask them on, you know, what, how I view pinball versus how they view pinball. Or, um, it was more of a, I thought about potentially recording an episode of, of maybe defending pinball or like, uh, hey, this is a fun episode that you could play for your friends or you could play for your wife next time you're in the car. Just so, you know, hopefully it communicates your love of pinball or my love of pinball and also an understanding of I understand this is the way that you view pinball. So a random thought, I by all means, if you think that's silly, shoot me an email and be like, no, trust me, I, I have a wife of my own at home. I am well aware of her view on pin, pinball. I don't necessarily need your wife to agree with her. Um, or other people was like, yeah, let's bring in that discussion. So feel free to let me know whether or not you think that would be an entertaining um, type of, of episode to record. Uh, another episode I, I want to record, but I haven't, I just don't think I should yet. It, it deals with pinball streaming. And what I mean is um, about a week after I started this podcast, I decided once again with everything that's going on in the world, I just don't see the next time that we're going to have a chance to play pinball with other people. And uh, so the closest thing that I found to playing pinball with other people is actually streaming and streaming on Twitch. So feel free to find me. I'm uh, just another pinball on Twitch. Uh, so the same thing, just another pinball on twitch.tv and I've started streaming and, uh, I, to be honest, I love it. I have really enjoyed it mainly due to the conversation, just like this pinball or just like this podcast. I thoroughly enjoy getting emails or getting feedback, uh, because it makes, makes me feel good to know that people are enjoying listening to this and, and wanting to respond. And same thing with streaming. The fact that you can chat, uh, 
with people. So while I'm playing and typically I'm trying to explain what I'm doing or my thought process during the game, uh, the fact that chat's asking questions or, or chat can go off in a completely different direction. We can be talking about something else. Just that, you know, shooting the breeze with other people that enjoy pinball, I have loved. What I've also found about streaming, though, is it's there's a lot to it. There's a lot that goes into it, um, not only from the software standpoint, understanding the software, setting it up, but just the layout, the graphics, under you know buying the right equipment for it, whether it's microphones or cameras, whether it's a webcam or other cams, buying stands for those, getting the proper lighting for those. Um, there is a ton that that goes on behind the scenes with pinball streaming, and. Um, once again, I would consider myself brand new to that, and I have been trying to consume as much as I can on that. Um, so I definitely have full intentions of recording a podcast that shares some of the resources that I've had um, and some of the experience that I've had. I mean, I've only been doing this a few weeks, but I've already learned things that if I could if I could go back two weeks, I'd do it differently, or these are things I wish I would have done sooner. Um, so I absolutely am going to record a, a podcast on that. Um, so look forward to that. Uh, the last bit of knowledge, the last bit of thing I wanted to hint at is um, I actually just today called um, my distributor, who happens to be Zach at Flipping Out <laughs> Pinball, um, and I I today placed an order for a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This is the first game that I bought new in box, uh, but I am a huge Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fan. I actually have a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle tattoo on my leg. Um, so this was a theme that I was all about. And to be honest, the streams, what I've seen, I am really excited about this machine. So I'm doing something I, I definitely, I just had never considered myself doing, which is buying brand new because I know the moment I take it out of the box, it's, it's going to lose value. And I'm all about trying to save money and, and do as much with the money that I have invested in this hobby as I can. But this was a title that I realized, you know, I, I want it and I want to dive in. So, um, I'm definitely going to share, be happy to share my experience with, with what, how this goes or, or what it's like buying or experiencing my first new unbox and, uh, you know, my takeaways and everything from that. So those are a few things that I definitely know, uh, potentially interviewing some of the friends and family, uh, a, uh, a podcast about streaming and then my new unbox experience, whenever that happens, uh, those are definitely going to be podcasts that are coming out, um, but those are a few of the ideas that I have. Uh, once again, if there's anything that you guys have that you'd love for me to discuss or share, shoot me an email, shoot me a message. I'd be happy to do that. And uh, I've really appreciated the positive feedback that I've gotten so far. And uh, if you have new negative feedback or if you have constructive criticism for me, let me know. Uh, be happy to take that into consideration and would love to make this uh, even better. Uh, but I think that's all I've got at this point. And I uh, appreciate the listen. I hope everybody has a good day. And uh, yeah, I will hopefully be talking to you guys real soon. Thanks.